This is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee. I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. And I'm equally not here with our recurring special guest, Craig, from Canadian History X. And today, obviously, Craig is bringing us a disaster. And I can't wait, because so far, both times, he's traumatized us. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just before we get into that, a couple things. I'm going to do the housekeeping that I always do. If you're new here... Welcome. We recommend you go back and check out the podcast from the beginning because we don't do like inside jokes necessarily, but a lot of times we'll do callbacks to previous episodes. And just if you want to be fully in the know, just go back and check out all the back catalog. At this point, it's like a year's worth of episodes. And don't let the episode number fool you. Each of the full numbers is like a major disaster, but then there's always a 0.5 in between. So even though we're in like episode 30 or something, double that. So we got all those episodes to listen to tricky if you're wondering what you can do to help us out the best thing is to tell someone to listen to this podcast just you know spread the word more the merrier Mm. all of that if you're not subscribed already uh feel free to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review on uh well anywhere really i think apple podcast is still the best if you want to keep up with what we're doing on social media twitter instagram and facebook at this disaster pod everything in one convenient place on our website www.thisdisasterpod.com and our patreon.com slash this disaster pod where we have lots of fancy bonus content like uh, live streams of these major disasters right now we've got some people watching in the live stream which is always super fun and that could be you if you're a patron you also get access to uh, micro disasters that come out every two weeks and some other bonus content and you help us make some Make some pretty sweet uh, content, like maybe some mega disasters that we're currently reading lots of books on. We. But uh, you know what? Don't let us give you that sinking feeling. Oh, it's called foreshadowing. Uh 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 I feel like (laughs) that is the most subtle I've been. (laughs) Every other time I've said the name of the ship. (laughs) Basically what's going to be. One last thing right before we get into the disaster. A little bit of, I thought... Instead of listener feedback today, I thought I'd do I thought I'd do a quiz because I realized it's been a while since I've actually gone back and listened to some of our episodes. Oh no. Because we're kinda <laughs> we're always a train going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I thought we'd maybe take a moment to look back. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take take you guys back to Typhoid Mary. Okay. This is actually I'm taking this from our social media because I, I did like I did a few questions and I know for a fact, Craig, when I did these, you got them all right. So no pressure. <laughs> maybe mostly for lee but here we go what was typhoid mary's last name and this is a multiple choice so it's a little bit easier unless you know already i don't okay so multiple choice a smith lemon Mallon, or rockefeller smith nope Mallon. Mallon. that was my second <laughs> bacillus bacteria are named after the latin word for bull stick knife or pot I'm going with stick it's Dick. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I knew it. Typhoid Mary spread sickness by working as a doorman, doctor, receptionist, or cook. I'm going to say cook. Yep, cook. That was, that was, that was pretty straightforward. That was, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, la- last one. Typhoid Mary chased away a man asking for her poo with a <laughs> broom, frying pan, spoon, or fork. I think it was a fork. <laughs> Yeah, it was a fork. Yeah. <laughs> Big don't time forget fork. that. <laughs> no, that's a detail that sticks with you. <laughs> sticks in you. <laughs> okay, so I think that's pretty much all I had to say. And maybe I'll just let Craig uh, take it from here. Craig, all right. disaster. All right. So back in 1492, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Christopher Columbus sails across the mm-hmm. ocean. Blue. 
<laughs> he sails across the ocean blue. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he's trying to get yep. to China. Yep. Everybody kind of knew that there were continents. There were most likely there was something there because we knew how big the Earth was. We knew it was round. Uh, the Greeks had a mm-hmm. pretty good idea of how what the circumference of the Earth was. So they they figured mm-hmm. there's something out there maybe between Europe and and Asia. But right. Columbus decides to sail across, and he smacks right into an entire continent. Claims he discovered it despite the fact that millions of people are already living there. Mm-hmm. And uh, people start the, the rush to get to, to China and Asia, and they have to do it over North America or under South America. And if they hit America, they build forts. That's right. They like love Lee told us. their forts. <laughs> yes. In the Roanoke episode. <laughs> Go back and check that one. It's out. just so funny that, like, it's amazing to think they knew that, like you said, they knew the size of the earth. They knew la-di-da, everything you said. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't know. <laughs> it's like, Instead of your boats, just walk that way. You'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> I mean, what's harder? I don't know, sailing or, or like hiking. It's probably, you know, one and the same, but still, it's kind of funny. I think they used to, they used to go overland. Yeah, the Silk Road, yeah. right? We heard about that in the Black right, Death. Right, right, right. I guess uh, they wanted a faster way. The Ottomans took over Constantinople. And so that was kind of their link right. to China, which pushed us or pushed us, pushed Europeans to mm-hmm. look the other way and be like, well, maybe we'll just sail across the ocean and, you know, hopefully uh, in China. Asked and answered. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, our England really wants to find a way to China and they send John Cabot mm-hmm. in 1497 to find that route. And obviously he doesn't find a route to Asia, but he does land in Newfoundland and kind of begins the whole settlement of what would one day be Canada. Right. 1535, mm-hmm man by the name of Jacques Cartier, he explores the St. Lawrence River, mm-hmm. and he's hoping that that river kind of maybe goes all the way to China. I'm out in Alberta, mm-hmm. and the St. Lawrence River does not come out this far, so. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Could it not, not the lucky break he was hoping for? <laughs> maybe this goes to China. So close. That's such an that's such a explorer mentality. Here's a river. Maybe it goes to China. (laughs) Well, that was the Roanoke thing where he thought he found the inlet. He's like, oh, maybe that's the Pacific over there that I can see with my eyes from the Atlantic (laughs) Ocean. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, Lucky you. (laughs) 1576, Martin Frobisher, he takes three trips to the Arctic. He lands at a bunch of islands. Again, there's uh, Inuit and and others Mm -hmm. there, but he doesn't find a path through. Mm -hmm. So for the next 250 years, explorers are going to keep trying to get through what they, you know, the fabled Northwest Passage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the Franklin Expedition, led by Sir John Franklin. Good name for an expedition. That's his name. Yeah, exactly. It's his name. (laughs) I think his wife paid for it too, so. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to do a sidebar on Sir John Franklin. Hey. He was the ninth of 12 children born to a merchant and a daughter of a farmer. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted to improve his social position, and a good way to do that was to join the Navy, or the Royal Navy. Mm-hmm. Father was opposed to it, he wanted him to join the church, but he eventually allowed his son to go on a trial voyage on a merchant ship at the ripe old age of 12. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1800, he was 14, and he secured a Royal Navy appointment on the HMS Polyphemus. I think that's how you pronounce it. And so as a member of the Royal Navy, he sees action at the Battle of Copenhagen. He travels to Australia. Uh, he fights at the Battle of Trafalgar, uh, where uh, Horatio Nelson dies. Hmm. And he even fights for the British in the War of 1812. Wow. And by 1818, he's commanding his own ship. So he's really come far. He's started at 12. By this point, he's 26, I think. So he's captain by 26. Huh. He's commanding a ship at 26. Yep. Old age, basically. 
Yeah, exactly. Especially back then. <laughs> Still figuring out what taxes were at one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> To pay them every to... year? <laughs> Jeez. So one year later, he leads uh, an expedition to chart the north coast of Canada. And on this uh, expedition, it kind of takes three years uh, going back and forth. He loses 11 of his 20 men, most dying of starvation, one being murdered. And there was actually suggestions of men eating the dead. They were so hungry on these uh, this first voyage. So it bodes well for uh, any future voyages Franklin decides to do. Sure it does. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's the bar high. Uh-huh. <laughs> Survivors were forced to eat leather boots, and it gave Franklin the nickname, <laughs> The Man Who Ate His Boots. Not a lot of poetry to it, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to try a little harder. I guess Hungry Bob was taken. Yeah. <laughs> so three years later... For some reason, after losing more than half his men and, you know, literally coming to starvation and you're eating your boots and possibly eating people, right. he leads his second and third expeditions called the Mackenzie River Expeditions. And these explore the Bering Strait and the Mackenzie and Copper Rivers. Hmm. Uh, it maps a thousand kilometers of coastline and it's actually very successful. So kind of reverse that whole uh, image that he had as this not a great person to explore the Arctic with. Right. Redemption. Yeah. Well... Good thing you stuck to it. Yeah. <laughs> try, try again. Yeah, you don't want to leave on that low note of <laughs> Hungry Bob. Yeah, exactly. Hungry, hungry boot-eating Bob. <laughs> 1845, he feels the itch of going to the Arctic again, mm -hmm. and he's going to lead an expedition to find that Northwest Passage. He knows he can find it. He's sure he can find it. Uh, he wasn't the first choice. Sir James Clark Ross mm -hmm. was uh, asked to do it, but he declined because he just came back from Antarctica and probably was... Needing a break from that cold weather. Yeah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> hey, you want to go back? Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, Franklin's 59, and he would take command of HMS Erebus, Francis Crozier, given command of the Terror, which is a great name for a ship. Wow. And a great name for a TV show, too. And I get to that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm sorry. It's a good <laughs> show. excited. It's a great it show. Is. I would never set foot on a ship called the Terror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome aboard the Terror. Sorry, what is, what's it called? Terror? Uh, I'm good. I'm going to stay. Yeah, set this one out. Everything turns out fine. Don't worry. Both ships were actually part of the Ross expedition that had gone to Antarctica just two years earlier. So, you know, they were suited for Arctic exploration and they were well-built, state-of-the-art. They had steam engines that were taken from locomotives and fitted into the ships. The hulls were reinforced with iron plates and it had a steam heating system to kind of provide comfortable temperatures for the entire crew. Had libraries of a thousand books wow. and three years worth of tin food amounting to 33,000 pounds of food. Wow, really? Jeez. I always pictured these as, again, limited knowledge, but I always pictured them as like big wooden sailing ships. And it was, it was. It was just, it just had metal plating okay. around it. But yeah, it was more or less okay, okay. how you would see that kind of ship back then. All right. <clears throat> okay, but it had, it had like steam furnaces i yeah, guess yeah but just for internal just for use. internal to okay, kind of okay. keep everybody not like warm. steam powered uh, i gotcha it's it's steam power its engine was to interesting some degree to for movement but mostly just sailing it, it had yeah you know it had a mast with sails and everything yeah and you said 18 yeah 40 uh, 1845 okay cool interesting kind of transition between this and like steam line kind of definitely getting to cool. that point okay. yeah um so the tin food yeah that is something to keep in mind mm -hmm. because that's going to come up later in the tale there's a lot of tin food Okay. And the tin food contract was supplied to a man by the Steve, by the name of Stephen Goldner. Okay. And he was awarded the contract seven weeks before the ships actually set sail. And he had to produce 
at least 8,000 tins. Crunch time. So quality control. Mm. We'll, we'll remember the tins. Yeah. <laughs> you want it fast, you want it good. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. And he, they, got, they got them fast. Right. <laughs> to seal the tins, oh they would use lead. And this lead was applied, applied kind of in a sloppy manner. And <laughs> okay. it allowed the lead to drip down the inside of the tin to the food. So you can kind of see where, where this is going. And if you've seen the terror, you definitely know where this is going. Yeah. Except without magical beasts and things. Minus that. Magical. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still. I I know what the lead did to the Romans slowly. Yeah. So, we, we, we've covered okay. that. Psychosis. <laughs> yeah. Check your pipes. Yeah. If you live in a house that's 100 <laughs> years old. Might, might be a good idea. In all, there's 24 officers and 110 men on the ships, and only six of the officers okay. have actually ever been to the Arctic. So there's not a lot, a lot of experience. Mm. Obviously, Franklin had been there and, you know, his first mate, mm. but not a lot of experience in the Arctic, which, I, you know, you probably should have because it's a dangerous place. On yeah. the other hand, I imagine that might have helped this expedition happen in the first place because if Franklin's the only guy, <laughs> the other commanders are like, so what, was, what were your other experiences like? Uh, yeah. Fine. Fine, yeah. fine. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, no, good. Nine people came back, so <laughs> yeah. it went pretty well. That's, yeah. you know, <laughs> almost half. Do. Yeah. <laughs> Any murders? I can't remember. Murders? <laughs> no. <laughs> so on the ship, there was also a Newfoundland dog named Neptune, who was a gift from Lady Franklin to the crew. Nice. Uh, the, everybody on the ship loved the dog, uh, and he was often written into letters that were going to be sent home. There was Jacko the monkey, okay. and he was another gift from Lady Franklin. Mm-hmm. And he would wear clothes that the crew made, but he was, or, but she was a notorious okay. thief. Uh, but everybody loved her, so they didn't really care that she was stealing stuff. I've got a real bad feeling about Neptune and Jacko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, carry on. There was also a cat, and uh, they, it, cat didn't have a name. It was oh. just there to ca- catch the rats on the ship. Okay. So uh, May nineteenth, eighteen forty-five, the ship set sail from Kent. Mm-hmm. And they uh, sail to Greenland, and they sail to a place called Disco Bay, which is on the west coast of Greenland. Disco? Disco, but with a K, not a C. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Not as groovy. Not as groovy. <laughs> Real missed opportunity there, guys. So few bell-bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> Ten oxen were butchered for meat, and crew members wrote what would be their last letters home, mm-hmm. and five men were discharged and sent home, and... I am sure afterwards they thought how lucky they were. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) July 1845, two ships, the Prince of Wales and the Enterprise, Mm -hmm. encounter both those ships in Baffin Bay, and that would be the last time those ships would ever be seen by Europeans. Those Mm. are the ships you want to be on. Yeah. Prince of Wales, Enterprise. Enterprise. Those have strong names. (laughs) The terror. Horrifying names. What? Like, how would that ever come? I guess maybe in the context of war, maybe you want a ship like a warship called the terror yeah. that the other side is afraid of. <laughs> yeah. But don't Not so much on an expedition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Discovery or something like that. Yeah. I'm going to hop on my ship, the Perfect. impending doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yep. during the winter of 1845, 46, the true, the two ships and their crew winter at a place called beachy Island. And just to kind of give a context for that, you guys are in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So yes. that's about 3,358 kilometers, almost due north from Ottawa, okay. which is kind of the same distance between Ottawa and Phoenix. So they were way up there. Right. Way, way up way there. Way north. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Holy. 
Man, globes don't do the world justice. No, like maps. they don't. <laughs> you look at a map, and like especially when you get to the edges, that's not that far. It is though. <laughs> Spring comes, and the ships leave Beachy Island, yeah. and they sail to Peel Sound, which is uh, towards King William Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, King William Island will be an important place. I'll be talking about quite a bit through this whole thing. Okay. Okay. On September twelfth, the ships would become trapped in the ice off of King William Island. Okay. And this is where the real nightmare would begin. Uh, everything up to that point had been a standard, I want to say adventure, expedition. Romp. Let's say romp. Arctic romp. <laughs> <laughs> but through the winter of 1846-47, the crew winters on this island because they're stuck in the ice. Mm-hmm. And they're hoping that the ice is going to disappear in the summer. And it doesn't. <laughs> they stay locked in the ice. Those ships will never sail again. Oh. They're locked there for good now. Yeah. <sighs> Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Something like that happened in a sidebar in our Blizzard of 1888 episode. Mm-hmm. But I think they got out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Can't remember the details, but check out Blizzard of 1888 <laughs> episode number. But just think of that like, oh, we're stuck in the ice. Okay, well, we'll winter over yeah. here and hope the ice melts. <laughs> yeah. Right. In this barren Arctic wasteland. While we eat 10 food. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With lead in it. Yeah. <laughs> but also, how long do you wait, right? Right. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, and what like, what do you do? You like you? Yeah. You can't just leave. No. You're you're kind of stuck stuck there. Yeah. You signed on oh. for the duration. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like a, uh, an airplane can come and get you and 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 bring you home. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is where I live now. Yeah, exactly. This is this yeah. is my this life. This is your home. On June eleventh, eighteen forty seven, Sir John Franklin will die, Ooh. and I guess in some ways he's lucky because he died earlier than a lot of the people but he still died so right oh boy and, and if you've seen the terror when i go through some of these things you can kind of see how they mirrored it quite a bit like i don't want to give anything away for anybody okay. who hasn't seen it but definitely watch it because it's, it's sure. a great show lee's recommended it before now that i'm learning the details <laughs> i want to see it yeah i mean there's this whole other angle to it where they go off into sort of a supernatural probably filling in the gaps of all the unknown details with yeah it's mm-hmm. kind of Fun stuff, but you know, <laughs> cool. But it's good. That as it may, the the historic parts of it seem like they would be pretty accurate. Yeah, even some of the names actually. Uh, I think the surgeon might be the same name. Yeah, uh, as the one that was on the terror. That's so it, it's really pretty close in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. you know, same thing. They're trapped in the ice. Only a few have Arctic experience, but then yeah, obviously in in other ways. But who knows? Maybe maybe that's exactly what happened. I don't know. Maybe right? you don't. No, know. I wasn't on the ships. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, the ice did not melt throughout that entire year, and they got to stay in the ice for another year. And by April 22nd, 1848, the decisions made to abandon the two ships after spending one year and seven months trapped in the ice at that location. And three days later, they leave a note, and it says the 24 men have died so far, and the survivors are going to start marching south on April 26th to the Back River. And that's hundreds of kilometers to the south. Ugh. It's not nearby. It's it's a ways. Like, they're not even on the Canadian mainland yet. Wow. Ugh. Just walking on ice. So, back in England, Lady Franklin's starting to get a bit worried uh, that her husband has not returned. <laughs> and uh, she wants to start organizing expeditions to find her husband's expedition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So along with members of parliament and British newspapers, they begin to urge the higher-ups to send a a search party, and they do. But they feel like there's no reason to be alarmed, but they do say, well, like, we will send some ships to check it out, we'll send an overland search party, and, and, you know, we'll see if everybody's okay. Okay. So this overland uh, rescue party is going to be led by John Richardson and John Ray. 
and they're going to go down the Mackenzie River to the Arctic coast, which is kind of on the opposite side of where the expedition is encased in the ice. They're over by the Yukon. Right. The expedition's over by uh, Nunavut. Right. Okay. okay. Then at the same time, two expeditions are launched by sea, and one would be led by James Ross. And he was the man who said no to the original expedition, and now he's looking for the expedition he would have been on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go. <laughs> or for a colossal I told you so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just to <laughs> shake his head and purse his lips when he finds them. <laughs> Told you not to do it. They put forward a reward, 20,000 pounds or 2 million pounds today. And it's offered to any party, parties, or country that renders assistance to the crews of the ships commanded by Franklin. Mm -hmm. And uh, this actually becomes one of the most popular topics of conversation in England. And they even have a Lady Franklin's Lament, a, which is a ballad that's uh, very, very popular uh, at the time. So it's it's like huge news. Wow. Right. The Ray Richardson expedition, it would arrive in Montreal in April of 1848, and the search party would travel to Cumberland House on the Saskatchewan River, and by mid-July, they had reached Great Slave Lake. And for the next year, they would begin the overland search. They would encounter Inuit, but the Inuit had not seen any sign of Europeans by this point. Mm. And the expedition would uh, head back and reach Liverpool in November of 1849, but Ray, I guess he just couldn't let it go. He decided to do another search for Franklin. And in 1853, he would actually speak to Inuit who said they encountered some of the remnants of Franklin's crew. Oh, really? Wow. God admire his persistence. <laughs> is this Ross, sorry? The, the, the... Uh, no, this is uh, Richard, or Ray, sorry, Ray. He was the one who did the overland uh, search. Oh, that, okay. Uh, yeah. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. But uh, he'd come yeah. back in 1853. Okay. okay. Going back a little bit, in 1850, the Inuit board an abandoned ship that's trapped in the ice off the coast of King William Island, which has mm. got to mm. be one of those two ships. Right. right. And the same year, the Inuit see 40 men walking south on King William Island, and it's believed these men would make it to the Canadian mainland, mm -hmm. but even when you hit the Canadian mainland, you're hundreds of kilometers away from the nearest fort. It's... It's a long, <laughs> long walk. <laughs> the men would trade for seal from the Inuit. Mm -hmm. And then later that year, the Inuit would find the bodies of 30 men, another five on an island nearby. Mm -hmm. And they would say that some of the bodies were buried. Some were in tents. Mm -hmm. Others were under a boat they'd been dragging. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were items scattered all over the place. So you can kind of see the progression of, you know, the first men to die are the ones who were buried. Sure. And then some die in the right. tents and you leave them there. And then probably the last ones to die yeah. are the ones that are underneath the boat because no one's burying them. Yeah. yeah. We talked about that in a recent episode, Johnstown Flood, actually. The idea of like the sacredness of the human body and how that's, you know, in death and how, you know, <laughs> it really depends on how the surroundings are doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's, we started talking about it in the very first episode in the Plague of Athens, how like the Greeks had a very specific burial ritual. Burial ritual for the dead and things like that but then as soon as everyone's dying it's just like uh mm. steps to the temple that's yeah. good enough. <laughs> more of a non-specific ritual of yeah one two three <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so anyways it's exactly what you were saying how early on you know they still observe all the rites but after a while it's like guys yeah we gotta like there's nothing do we whatever do. we can here <laughs> i'm not burying yeah, this guy yeah, i'm gonna be yeah. dead in an hour anyways yeah geez those corpses have been mutilated so that begins to lend the theory to cannibalism, and that's going to pop up a few times, mm -hmm. uh, which is weird because, like, oh boy. you know, they could just trade with the Inuit. They've met Inuit. They've got a seal. If you want to, you can find food in the Arctic, but 
by this point, mm-hmm. who knows if they're even thinking straight. Right, right, yeah. All that lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not helping. Yeah, let's not forget the lead, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say just the exhaustion, oh, but yeah. add to that. Exposure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That same year, 11 British and two American ships sailed to the Arctic to search, mm-hmm. and they would find some more relics of the expedition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they include what's left of the winter camp from way back in 1845-46, and they would find the graves of three men, John Torrington, John Hartnell, and William Brain. And we'd actually, those bodies are exhumed in, in 1984 to kind of determine the cause mm-hmm. of death. Mm-hmm. And that's where we start to see things like tuberculosis and especially lead poisoning, mm-hmm. uh, malnourishment, and pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Torrington, for example, he weighed 85 pounds by the time he died. Jeez, oh. skeleton. Yeah, the bodies that are brought up are incredibly well-preserved. Actually, this is a picture. Oh, hey. Oh, wow. Wow. Mummified. We'll post a link to that and we'll put it on our social media. Yeah, we're looking at a... What, there were uh, over a hundred year old corpse with a full head of hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And like, you can get a good idea of the face. Yeah, he's got his eyes yeah. still and everything. It's... Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> really well-preserved. Thanks All for three that. are. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, should have warned cool. you, I guess. <laughs> no, I meant that <laughs> sincerely. I'm a kind of a ghoul, so you know. <laughs> Here's a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> One year later, the Inuits see four men still trying to get south, and this is the last verified sighting of the survivors of the Franklin expedition. Is those four men? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't even know whatever happened to them. Where they are, where they died, nothing. But that was it. What year would that have been? Uh, that would have been in 1851. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So six years by that point. 1850, 1851. Yeah. Marched for six years. Jeez. Wow. 1852, Edward Belcher would launch an Arctic expedition to uh, search for Franklin. And he would lose four of his five ships in his expedition to find the expedition that lost both of its ships. Ships. I thought you were going to say people. <laughs> no, I, oh I you know, I didn't mention boats. anything about people. I, I, they might have been fine because he still had the one ship. Ships. So they might have just all crammed yeah, right. onto that. Yeah. But he lost four of his five ships. <laughs> yeah. Was it also like frozen? Uh, those ships, yeah, they, they were frozen and then they get crushed into the ice and, and sink. Man. He'd actually be court-martialed right when he got back and then acquitted afterwards. Okay. But there's actually a really interesting thing about those ships. One of them was the HMS Resolute. And it was recovered by an American whaler and taken back to England. And the timbers from that ship were then used to make three desks. Mm -hmm. And one of those desks was given by Queen Victoria to President Rutherford B. Hayes. And it's the desk that's typically used in uh, the the Oval Office in the White House now. Is that why it's called the Resolute Desk? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's good that you knew that. (laughs) Look at that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's such a cool little link to that. That's so cool. I guess in a way... You're welcome, <laughs> yeah. President, for your desk. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Because the Franklin expedition froze within our borders. <laughs> you know what you had to go through to get the wood for this desk? At some point in the next few years, between 1852 and 1858, there's stories of Inuit saying they've seen two men, which are believed to be Francis Crozier and uh, Surgeon McDonald near the Baker Lake area. Mm-hmm. But these aren't verified, mm-hmm. and this is about 500 kilometers south of King William Island but still 250 kilometers northwest of Hudson Bay. Okay, so that's almost like... Outside the realm of likelihood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's they say they've seen two people there, but, you know, who knows? But it's one of those right. stories that gets passed around about, you know, these... That's 10 years these men have lived in the Arctic. Right. And they never make it to yeah. a fort. Like, I, I don't know. So I think they probably just saw something. 
I mean, I guess there's always a possibility that they assimilated into a local Inuit settlement. True. Yeah, that's actually very true. Probably not, but you know. You never know. There's also a lot of stories that'll surprise you about human resilience. There's one that I was actually thinking about today, which is one of the reasons that I was motivated to do this podcast in the first place, but we haven't covered it yet. That's the Donner Party. Oh, yeah. Uh, similar kind of story to this. <laughs> maybe I'm not sure. Maybe I'll edit this out because I still don't want to. I'm not sure where I'm going to put it, but I want to cover it at some point. That's right? a good one. But same kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like it's ridiculous what, and people survived it, but it's just, I can't fathom how they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of I know how they did, and it's kind of dark, but it's still. <laughs> so the idea that these guys were seen, yeah, walking through the Arctic. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe oh, yeah. they were the two guys out of the, all the other ones that actually made it. And maybe they were saved by uh, an Inuit tribe. Not and, impossible. You know, yeah. fell in love and stayed with them. Like, who knows? Yeah. It, it's very, sure. it's in the realm of likelihood for sure. It's, it's cool thinking about them because that is one of the things that we talk about on the podcast that sometimes the odds are enormously against you. But there's still a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like that joke. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, there is. It's minuscule, but a minuscule chance yeah. still means that one person in a thousand is going to make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why, maybe these were the Why guys. does a thing happen? <laughs> because it can. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. 1854, John Ray interviews local Inuit who give him items from the expedition. Mm-hmm. The Inuits say that the men starved to death and resorted to cannibalism. Mm. And the items that the Inuit uh, have include silver forks and spoons that likely belong to the officers and Franklin himself. Mm. Okay. So the evidence is starting to mount up that these guys are somewhere in the Arctic, most likely dead, and they've scattered their supplies everywhere. Right. Right. Chief Factor James Anderson and James Stewart, both of the Hudson's Bay Company, they travel north by canoe to the mouth of the Black River. Mm-hmm. In uh, July of 1855, they meet a group of Inuit who tell them that white men had starved to death on the coast, Mm -hmm. and they find a piece of wood Mm -hmm. with Erebus inscribed on it, and another that said Mm -hmm. Mr. Stanley, who was the surgeon on that ship, and it was found on Montreal Island, which is pretty close to King King William Island. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. So, due to those expeditions, they decide they're not going to send any more expeditions, and the men are labeled as deceased in service. But Lady Franklin decides one more we're going to do one more it's now been 14 years since they left let's send another one and by this point she's probably just trying to find out what happened like yeah not fooling herself you know what you go (laughs) i want to find out so bad (laughs) so she commissions Mm -hmm. an expedition with her own money under the command of francis mcclintock Mm -hmm. and the expedition finds an abandoned boat with messages in a cairn on King William Island. Okay. And they find two notes left by the crew. So the first note is dated May 28th, 1847. So this is still pretty early on. Okay. Okay. And it says, HMS ships, Erebus and Terror, wintered in the ice, having wintered in 1846-47 at Beachy Island mm-hmm. after having ascended Wellington Channel and returned to the west side of Cornwallis Island. Okay. Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition, all well. <sighs> okay. The second one is dated a year later, and it's not quite as uplifting as that one. <laughs> so that one says, really? HMS ships Terror and Erebus were deserted on the 22nd of April, having been beset since September 12th, 1846. Hmm. The officers and crews, consisting of 105 souls, under the command of Captain F.R.M. Crozier, landing here. Hmm. Sir John Franklin died on June 11th, 1847, 
and the total loss by deaths in the expedition has been, to this date, nine officers and 15 men. Okay. So because she sends that expedition, we actually get kind of a really big clue about what was happening on the ship. So it wasn't for nothing for her to send that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, that first note, especially the way it ends, is and knowing how the story is going is very ominous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All well, though. Everything's fine. All well. All well. We're, we're just going to ride it out. We're going to ride it out. This will thaw, and then we'll be on our way. All well. Yeah. What are the odds Oof. that the ice won't thaw? It's May. It's, it'll be thawed by June. Come on. Yeah. It's... <laughs> we'll be getting a suntan by June. Exactly. Jeez. So the McClintock expedition finds a human skeleton still clothed hmm. on the southern coast of King William Island. And on the western extreme of the island, they find two skeletons in a lifeboat, along with supplies that are vital for Arctic survival, including silk handkerchiefs, scented sponges, soap, slippers, and books, which you absolutely need when you're in the Arctic with minus 30, minus 40. You're being sarcastic right now. (laughs) Very. (laughs) It It was like... Oh, what is the silk for? I've never heard this. <laughs> Maybe I don't know that much about survival yeah, in the Arctic. Geez. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they like rough it and be fancy. Grab some extra coats. Like you've had people die, so you at least have twenty extra coats. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have like slippers? Where, where are you going to wear these? I because when they get saved, they're going to be in the lap of luxury. You, and you have to look mm-hmm. good when mm-hmm. you get saved, yeah. so you got to make Looking sure. You, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. The expeditions to look for Franklin, actually good did come of those uh, because they ended up surveying thousands of kilometers of coastlines. And the irony is that the loss of the expedition yielded more geographical knowledge than if the expedition had have succeeded. So, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> Sorry you starved to death and ate your friends, but we did map a lot of the coastline. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. you know. <laughs> Whilst looking for you, pains in the ass, we yeah. actually uh, did quite a bit of cartography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sil- silver silver lining. Exactly. <laughs> On a very dark cloud. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In all, 20 expeditions uh, were sent to find the Franklin Expedition. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes it the largest Arctic rescue mission in history. Oh, wow. uh, that didn't actually rescue anybody. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's one way to put it. Well, they did find <laughs> rescue notes, mission. Though, so. Yeah, they did find notes yeah. and, and skeletons and yeah. slippers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Franklin, he becomes a hero to the Victorian media, and a statue in his hometown bears the inscription, Sir John Franklin, discoverer of the Northwest Passage, which could not be further from the truth. He didn't even get anywhere near yeah. the other side. <laughs> <laughs> he discovered... Of the Northwest Passage. (laughs) (laughs) Discovered it's cold in the Arctic. Uh, So uh, over the past 150 years, a lot of research has gone into the fate of Franklin, his expedition, and some researchers feel that the expedition members did survive to as late as 1851, which is amazing because that's around the same time that these some of these expeditions are looking for them. So, you know, if they had to just cross paths. Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. Heartbreaker. Yep. So during research expeditions to learn more about the fate of the Franklin expedition, and these were conducted in the 1980s, bones of the crew were uh, analyzed, and it was found they were suffering from scurvy, which is pretty obvious. I mean, you're in the Arctic. There's evidence of cannibalism. A trace element analysis of the bones found that the lead levels were 226 parts per million, Mm -hmm. which is 10 times higher than samples taken from Inuit skeletons from the same region and the same time period. But that's lifetime lead exposure. So it might not be like that's 
all from the expedition, but still, it's it's ten times higher than normal. It might not have been the thousands and thousands of <laughs> lead-lined tins that they brought with them. No, yeah. no, it was the. But it probably was. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> so from the expeditions, we found that pneumonia and starvation likely killed most of the crew, but lead poisoning was a definite contributing factor to that. And the lead poisoning likely came from the tins that were leaking lead. And they also had this really uh, kind of a cool distilled water system in the ship. So the ships required one ton of fresh water per hour when steaming. Mm -hmm. And they had a desalination system and that produced large quantities of water with a high lead content. And that's actually believed to be like a major source of that lead poisoning mm-hmm. is that they're breathing that in when uh, the, the steam heating system's going, yeah. oh, along yeah. with then eating the in the tins and, and eating lead, essentially. Oh, man. Jeez. So lead in the stomach and the lungs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, this mm-hmm. explains why there was such a high number of deaths, because the James Ross Clark expedition, right. he his expedition was trapped in the same area from 1829 to 1833, but they only lost three men. Mm -hmm. They didn't lose everybody. Mm -hmm. Like every single person on this expedition most likely died. Um, And so they figured the lead poisoning is probably a big reason for that. And uh, some other things. Four years stuck on a boat frozen (laughs) in the middle of the North, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I really hope that in addition to all their supplies, they brought a book (laughs) or two. I don't know. Like, what do you do for four... Survive, I guess. Yeah. But what do you do for four years frozen in the spot? Well, you kind of see that in the terror. You know, they're kind of figuring out things to do. They're having plays and and things like that. And I think they were playing soccer at one point. Mm -hmm. You just, yeah, that's all you can do. Yeah. I I imagine that just the pace of the day in general back then was so much... I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to really grasp for someone living in 2020... Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I think if we got warped back to 1980, you know, we would just be bored in an hour. <laughs> just you know what I mean? Like, like it's oh, just yeah. like a different yeah. kind of time passes yeah, differently. So I, I'm sure they were quite probably pretty resourceful and like, well, what do we do? Like, well, yeah. what can't we you know we, we have a million things to do. Oh yeah. I mean yeah, I, I grab enough. my phone and look at it every every couple minutes, you know. Oh sure. I, Guys, I'm at ten percent. What do I do? That'd be the main thing in nineteen eighty. I just keep reaching for nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bit of a sidebar. This is about lead poisoning. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, lead poisoning hits the brain the hardest, mm-hmm. and it causes a variety of symptoms, including abdominal pain, constipation, also diarrhea, tremors, convulsions, mm-hmm. kidney failure, mm-hmm. nausea, memory problems, tingling in the hands and the feet, irritability, hallucinations, just a, a whole bunch of things. Wow. And we've actually known about lead poisoning for 4,000 years. Yeah, right. We didn't actually start to really limit it going into our bodies till the 1500s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be bothered. It's, it's super convenient. It's bendy. Yeah. You know, it's pretty malleable. Yeah. I mean, I still, when you solder, all like that lead-free solder is garbage. <laughs> you need to have the... Like 60-40, because otherwise it's just not going to work. <laughs> just open a window. That's what I mean. Exactly. Well ventilated. <laughs> yeah. If you don't treat it, it, leads to anemia, seizures, coma, and eventually death. Jeez. And in 2016, 540,000 people worldwide, mostly from the developing world, uh, had lead poisoning and died from it. Jeez. Do you know, do you have an idea? Is it plumbing mostly? I think it's plumbing. It could also be those people who 
are tearing apart ships, going through right. and finding batteries and things like that to eventually be recycled oh, right, into something right. or to sell. Uh, probably a lot of it comes from that as well. Yeah. And then also mining in uh, okay, yeah. places where they have really lax rules, I guess, would be another reason. Yeah, right. The Roman Empire... It used lead in a number of things, including its cups and plates. Mm -hmm. It used it to sweeten wine, and it used it in its pipes. Mm, right. And it's believed, but disputed by some, that the decline of the Roman mm. Empire was actually caused in so some part by rampant lead poisoning. But there's obviously a lot of other reasons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's not rule out the lead. Yeah. And uh, yeah. do you guys remember like when you'd fill up or your parents would fill up with gas and it would say unleaded gasoline only? Yeah. Right. That's because there was a time when we had leaded gasoline from the 1920s to the 1980s. Yeah. Right. And then they found that lead was everywhere. Mm. So they banned it in the early 1980s. Blood lead levels mm. dropped rapidly. And some theories state that mm. the rapid decline in violent crime in places like especially like New York yeah. throughout the 1990s could be contributing or could be coming from the fact that we weren't all inhaling lead constantly <laughs> in the cities. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Other factors in the failure of the expedition is the fact they took the passage down the west side of King William Island, mm. and that brought this huge ice flow that doesn't always melt in the summer, whereas the east side of the island actually does clear often in the summer. So if they had gone that route, they would have probably been able to keep sailing or at least go back home if they were running out of supplies. But they took the west route, right. And that kind of doomed them. Oh. And then, obviously, the expedition was naval in nature. They didn't think they would be trying to survive on land or walking thousands of kilometers back to uh, civilization. And so it kind of shows in the right. fact that the crew's hauling supplies that aren't useful at all in Arctic survival. Yeah, right. Like slippers. Like slippers. <laughs> and exactly. Frankincense or whatever. <laughs> Need those scented soaps. Yeah. I don't know. 2014, the wreck of the Erebus is found. And in 2016, the wreck of the terror is found. Wow. Oh, wow. Back in 1992, we didn't know where those were, mm -hmm. but we named them a National Historic Site anyway. So wherever they were, they were going to be a National Historic Site. <laughs> yeah. Now we know where they are. So the uh, the Erebus is was found under 11 meters underwater okay. in the Wilson and Crompton Bay, which is about 70 kilometers south of King William Island. So it obviously drifted with the ice for some time. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then the Terror was found uh, near King William Island. Okay. I will close out with saying that the first season of the Terror was heavily inspired mm -hmm. by the Franklin Expedition. And especially going through this, mm -hmm. there were so many things that they borrowed from this expedition right down to like, Right. The people commanding, the crew, things that happened. Right. It, it, it's a really good show, too. So maybe I'll start it. Maybe I'll start it tonight. <laughs> maybe tonight. It's on Prime, so it's free. Oh, perfect. <laughs> there you go. So that's the Franklin Expedition, the trip to the north that didn't really discover anything, but led to a whole lot of discoveries afterwards. Kind of accomplished what they were going for. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not in the way they wanted to. So he kind of discovered the Northwest Passage, I guess? Yeah, we'll, we'll give it to him. After he died? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll give him yeah. that win. You know what? Yeah. Well, he earned it. He loosened okay. it for us. <laughs> just saying. He loosened it for us, exactly. Jeez. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a disaster. That's pretty incredible. So, yeah. Craig, do, do you have music for that, Craig? I do. I have Don't Eat Yellow Snow by Frank Zappa. And uh, <laughs> it's it actually begins with like a howling wind, and he talks about mm -hmm. being cold. Uh, he uses kind of a derogatory term for Inuit that we don't use anymore. But other than that, it right. kind of oh, fits perfect with uh, 
with what I was going here. And really, it's good advice. Don't eat, there's tons of snow. Don't eat yellow snow when you're <laughs> marching a thousand kilometers yeah, home. That's important, actually. I learned that most recently from uh, Olaf in Frozen. <laughs> no, my son loves Frozen, so Olaf gives that advice. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lee, you got one? Yeah, so I, I typically I try to pick some some CanCon whenever Craig's uh, mm -hmm. guesting on the show. So yeah. I actually picked a, a local to Ottawa band, uh, friends of ours actually, Peter. Yeah, yeah. they grieve. Oh yeah, who uh, we've shared the stage with at least one time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but they're a fantastic uh, sort of post metal doom drone duo from Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. they have one release out currently. It's an EP called I Made My Sacrifice Accordingly. The song I picked is called The Name of the Void. Mm -hmm. As per usual with my choices, it's not so much the, the lyrical content, which, uh, as I understand, is actually inspired by a Canadian novel called Pilgrim by timothy findley so it really has nothing to do with the subject matter but it's just it's the feeling that it evokes a very like desolate uh forlorn you know all is lost and you get that music <laughs> really heavy and then it takes these sort of uh dips into ambient sort of ominous territory and yeah you kind of get a bit of everything over to you peter Okay, for me, I also went with a bit of CanCon and also a bit of Ottawa CanCon. So I went with a band called Hunter Gatherer. Yeah, They're, I think. Yeah, I think Lee, you said you've you've seen them before. I yeah. think live seen them once. Yeah. So really they're a two-piece black metal doom band from Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, guitars and drums and vocals, and they just—I think mostly they do recording, but they do play live. So they must have sort of a built-out band for that. The album is, or I guess the song is Father. It's a single track, so I guess it's, it's just a single song. The first reason that it came to mind is the cover art is just this sort of black cloaked figure standing in the middle of a snowy field, <laughs> uh, which, again, evokes all of the imagery we just talked about in the Franklin Expedition. Yep. <laughs> Maybe like the lone final survivor just kind of out in a cold field waiting for the end. <laughs> the other reason that I think it's interesting, I think the photograph for the cover was actually taken by Emil Matea, who's the artist that did the drawing for our the shirt print and the print that all the patrons get and can buy on our shop. Uh -huh. So Ooh. sort of cool. multi, multi, like a nexus, <laughs> nexus of things coming together. It's all connected. Um, and music wise, for me, black metal, whenever I think of cold, dark, wintry, anything to do with that kind of thing, I think black metal because kind of has its roots in Norway and it's just always I recently went uh, Lee knows this but a couple of years ago I realized that I wanted to know more about black metal and the music that I listened to so I did like a deep dive yep. into black metal history so I just went back and started with like the earliest Norwegian black metal bands and I did that in January when it was like <laughs> walking my dog in the evening and it was cold and dark and I was mad about winter and listening to black metal so that <laughs> always comes to mind perfect father by hunter gatherer Nice. So that's cool. that's my musical recommendation. Good one. Okay, yeah. So if you enjoyed what you heard, the best thing you can do is to tell a friend to listen to both our podcast and to Craig's Canadian History X. Yeah. Canadian History X, that's a podcast that, that I was a fan of before we even started talking with Craig on uh, on Twitter. We started messaging. And so, you know, the fact when, when we kind of came up with the idea of maybe doing some Canadian disasters, it was such a no-brainer because Craig's podcast, Canadian History X, is such a thorough and accessible Canadian history podcast that I enjoy for multiple reasons. 
especially now that I'm a parent, it really helps that it's bite-sized as I like to call it. So <laughs> like the episodes are very, you're not like, you're not sitting down for like a hardcore history thing where it's like, okay, now it's going to be six hours on this aspect of Canada, which would be interesting, but <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> six hours. I couldn't imagine. It's hard enough just doing 20 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but it, you, you do it well. So honestly, if you haven't listened to it already, check out Canadian History X. Great podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping Craig will be back for more disasters for us because these are always... Absolutely. There's plenty. Entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and dark. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> the well is deep. Tell a friend to listen to both This Is a Disaster and Canadian History X. That's the number one thing you can do. The next best thing you can do is subscribe to either podcast wherever you listen and leave a, leave a rating or review. Those help out a lot. I think I think Apple Podcasts is still the best place to do that. Yeah. That helps, uh, helps for exposure. If you want to keep up with us on social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Canadian History X has all of those, I think, as well. If yep. you just search, is it usually at Canadian History X? Nope, because I didn't want to make things simple nope. for myself. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is at Craig Baird, B-A-I-R-D. Okay. Facebook is mm -hmm. Canadian History X, the whole thing. Patreon is Canada X, E-H-X, and then website mm -hmm. is uh, CanadaX.com. And if you need mm -hmm. to email me, my email is Craig at CanadaX.com. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. perfect. And I do know, I think on Instagram, if you search for Canadian History X, it comes up. Yeah, yeah, it does. So check all of those out. Keep up with uh, keep up with Canadian History X and This Is a Disaster, This Disaster Pod. Everything for us in one convenient place at www.thisdisasterpod.com and our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod where you get all the features that I talked about at the beginning, including live streams where you get to watch us re-record the end of an episode <laughs> because someone's audio cut out, not pointing <laughs> any fingers, but it was a guy that's currently speaking. <laughs> and uh, lots and lots of bonus content. So check that out. That's pretty much all I had to say, uh, unless Lee, you got anything to add? No. Okay, well, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks, Craig. Yeah.